Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's time for a new episode of I See It But I Don't Believe It. I've got someone here who I've known for a very long time, who we usually talk about music stuff but then get off track and talk about footy for even longer. Um, I've got Zach Abrams here. How are you doing? Hey, how are you? Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for coming. We do always end up talking about footy. We do. And we, <laughs> we hate each other's teams, so uh, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but for those who don't know who you are, uh, can you tell us who you are and what you do? First um, I, I work in music. Um, I'm an artist manager primarily in Melbourne and then um, I do various bits and pieces on Australian music festivals as well, but um, primarily managing the day-to-day lives and I guess business world of various Australian musicians based here in Melbourne. It's an exhausting job. It is. A, th- <laughs> a thankless job. Yes, correct. <laughs> Um, but you're also a Hawthorne supporter. I am, yeah. So, um, context to our friendship, Zach was my mentor through a program that we did, uh, and the first time we met for that mentoring program, we literally just talked about footy and didn't talk anything about uh, Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was great. But, um, <laughs> now we're going to talk about Hawthorne for however long. It <laughs> kills me. Um, but you've, you've. Chosen a moment that we're yep. going to talk about. Okay. I've said talk about a lot already in this, so sorry, everyone. But this moment is a very specific, small part, but a significant part of a grand final. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When you asked me to come on the show and talk about one moment, this was the first thing that popped into mind. And I, I guess in the space of the next 30 seconds, I thought of another half a dozen moments yep. through my Barracking for Hawthorne since, <laughs> since I moved to Melbourne in like 95 oh, wow. um, and moved to Hawthorne right around the corner from Glenferry Oval. Yeah. Um, so there's so, there are so many kind of in, in the memory bank, but when, when you ask me, I think it's like, it's always good to go with that first memory. And that, and that was this, this, yep. this was that for me. So we're going to be talking about Luke Hodges' goal from the boundary mm-hmm. in the 2015 grand final. Correct. But we're going to lead up to it a little bit. So we all know that Hawthorne had the three-peat, whatever. <laughs> um, but we all know that they also lost the 2012 grand final yeah, correct. to Sydney by 10 points. They yep. went in as favourites. Mm-hmm. And it was their accuracy in front of goal that really let them down in yep. that game. Also, Sydney were great, can I just yeah. say. Yeah. But um, it was accuracy. Mm-hmm. That, that was the big thing in that final quarter. Then the 2013 grand final went in as favourites again. Sure. And the thing against Fremantle and the thing that was different in this game was that yep. you guys kicked straight and Frio did not. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm Hayden Ballantyne missed in front of goal so many times. And even then, though the Hawks won, um, it wasn't the most convincing grand final win. Yep. Um, in the context of the of the three peat, or even if you count the the outlier, the, the two thousand and eight. Two thousand and eight. <laughs> um, Fremantle, yeah, they got the job done, but it wasn't beautiful footy by by any measure. I, I didn't think they just they kicked straighter than Fremantle. Yeah, and it wasn't a classic like the two thousand twelve one was, where no. it was like down to the wire. It was very just like missed opportunity type. Yes, thing. yeah. Um, and then 2014, do we have to talk about it? Um, <laughs> Sydney went in as favourites in this yeah. one as the reverse of 2012. Yeah. And you guys just blew them out of the water from the start. Yeah, it, it really felt like um, a direct reply to that 2012 grand final. I mean... And the loss of Buddy. Yeah, they were just... And the loss of Buddy, which was just one year. You know, it was his first season at Sydney, yeah. wasn't it? Um very, very decisive and surgical kind of a of, of a of a game of football from the Hawks. And upsetting for me, who chose to watch the whole thing. <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, of course, you have to watch the whole bad thing. Day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then we get to 2015. Yeah, where Hawthorne do not go into finals as favourites. No, Hawthorne. Went 16-6 and six for the season, which was, I think, the worst win record they had out of those four years. Of the three P, yeah. And their biggest loss for the home night season was actually a 22-point loss to Port in round 21. So yeah, while they lost six games, they still didn't really lose them by very much. Yeah. Um, that was the biggest one. But they went into the first round of finals against West Coast. In West Coast. In West Coast yeah. and lost it by 32 points. And it was a... Brutal game. Yeah. Like, one of the best games of that final series. Um, pretty heartbreaking, but luckily the Hawks had the double chance. Yep. Um, but I just remember that being a very intense game of football, and West Coast looked incredible. Just like, they looked they looked like an unstoppable uh, con- grand final contender, I thought. Yeah, and at, this at was kind of the start of that engine that they had for their yeah. 2018 premiership. That was when they were all kind of starting to click together yeah, as that midfield group and then the strength in each end of the ground. And just a really high-scoring side and anybody can kick goals from 50. It just felt like you gave them an inch and West Coast uh, converted. And this was the year that they would always call it the Weagles web, right? Yeah. With that defensive that defensive <laughs> yeah. setup. That was this year. Yeah. Yes, that's right. I completely forgot about that till just now. Oh, what a great catchphrase. David King. Um, but losing round one of finals meant that they had to go the long way yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is reminiscent of 2005. Yeah, and, and, and um, a real concern when you have a aging side, um, you know, that this side had gone through the three-peat, but you had multiple players on the wrong side of 30 at this point, and having to play extra finals is not great for anybody's body. Yeah. So, for four years in a row as well, they were having yeah. extended seasons. For extended the fourth seasons year in a row. as well, yeah. Sydney went 10 years, I'm just saying. <laughs> this is my way of dealing with talking about Hawthorne. <laughs> you know what I'm like. <laughs> um, but having to go the long way, as yeah. you said, dealing with aging bodies, more risk of injury. Sure. And coming off the prelim against Fremantle that they won, obviously, mm-hmm. there was a big injury cloud over a number of really important players, including Luke Hodge. Yeah. Um, I think. Isaac Smith did an ankle as well. Yeah, I can't recall exactly who now. Yeah. Um, 
but it was worrisome yeah. because those training sessions in the lead up to the grand final, there were players that weren't even getting the ball yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. And leading into a grand final, not great. Yeah. Um, but Hodge was the big one, I think, because he was the leader of the club and he was all these things. Yeah, and and he brings so much. Um, I mean, something that's been said of him so much about uh, everywhere that he's played football now, Brisbane included, mm. is that he brings so much spirit and he and he inhabits this kind of spiritual captaincy for for a playing group where um, people look at look to him like a like a second coach, like an on field yeah. coach. So the loss of him. Um, has ramifications beyond his position or something, anything like that. It's like it's like uh, being leaderless on the field to a degree. Yeah, and for a club that or a team that had played so consistently under his guidance, mm-hmm. it's very hard when you lose someone like that. So he did hurt his hamstring in that prelim. Week. Yeah, yeah, and he was there, there was no guarantee that he was going to play the grand final, but he got up. Yeah. Now I have a question for you. I yes. don't know the answer to this. Hence why I'm asking the question. Was he playing in the forward line because of that injury? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. I think it was due to the fact that um, they were trying to reduce his running. So it set this up perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, another cre- credit to Clarico's bizarre fixes sometimes. So, yeah. you know, he loves to move the chess pieces and, and you look at the field and go, this is not going to work. And then <laughs> it, it miraculously, it, do, it does. And I, I think that was, was absolutely the case. It was, yeah. maybe it was conditional that he was able to play the game um, in a reduced capacity if he, if he was in a half forward position, I think. Yeah. Um, as opposed to being a follower or something where he was going to uh, uh, trouble, was it an ankle or a... It was his hamstring, Hamstring, yeah. okay, yeah. 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 So, because the first few times I watched this, I was like, I don't remember him ever playing forward. Yeah, why was he that far forward? Yeah. Yeah. Which adds to the to the memory to a degree for me because um, through that era, um, there are so many... Um, Rem, you're you're reminded of so many great goals, and this is the this Hawthorne forward line composed of Gunston and Bruce and these like real um, goal kickers, Poapolo and Hodges. Not really, he doesn't spring to mind. You know, no, he, he doesn't spring to mind as a, a contributor to that goal effort. You know, this is the the era where commentators just said this Hawthorne team it, they they're so high scoring, they push push push. This it's such a forward advancing kind of a machine mm. and the, and at the end of that machine you had all of these like elite goal kickers and Haji was very much not that. No, never. <laughs> not at all. No. So it makes the memory of this goal that's why it stood out so yeah. much more, you know. Can you tell me you, you when you chose this moment you said about how the previous two grand finals yeah. had a different feeling. This goal was kind of your way to enjoy yeah. all the grand finals in a way. Yeah. Um, I think as a result, you know, I, I was very lucky to get, get along to that um, 2012 grand final against Sydney. And um, I'll never forgive. Well, actually, he bought, he bought the tickets. He organised the tickets. So um, he's forgiven. But my friend who barracks for Melbourne was sitting beside me. Yeah. And with about, I don't know, six eight minutes on the clock he put his hand on my knee and he said you've got this <laughs> and that, at that point Hawthorne were maybe a goal and a half up two goals up tops and then from that point onwards Sydney just ran over ran over the top of them and, and finished the job um and I was so 
it was mixed feelings because it's so, I mean, anyone who's been to a grand final knows just how immense um, that feeling of being in the, the MCG is in, in a grand final. Yeah. Um, so you can't help but be exhilarated even if you're uh, barracking for the losing side, but also, you know, it's, it's so bittersweet because you, they've come all this way only to lose it at the last hurdle. And this, By only 10 points as and well. And really like was big margin. the last hurdle. It yeah. was, I mean, the, that was a game that the scoreline cha- continuously changed all the way to the last, to the last quarter. So um, a great grand final. But, it was, but, yeah. Uh, you know, but a, a, but a really um, disappointing outcome for the Hawks. And for that reason, I deliberately, you know, I watched um, Fremantle, um, the Fremantle grand final at a friend's house on, on TV with a bunch of people. And um, I did the same. I hosted an, in my backyard, brother, the the television out into the backyard <laughs> and did a barbecue and, to watch um, against Sydney. And and it, it, it was just the the opportunity came for me to go to the West Coast Grand Final. And um, the I guess the thrill of potentially seeing the three-peat yeah. and this really history-making moment, if they're able to do it, um, is what really, like... Like spurned me over the line to say, okay, no, I'm ready to go back, and it, you know, yeah. on the on the chance that they do win, I want to be there. I don't want to be at home, um, but I was so nervous, and, and all I can recall really that the, the first half of that game is a blur to me yeah. to to this point, to this kick, really to this goal. Um, I do recall um, West Coast kicking the first goal very quickly in this grand final and there being a kind of an ominous silence in the G among Hawks supporters <laughs> and myself included going, Oh no, I, this, that moment of doubt where you just go, I've made a terrible mistake. I'm, I'm about to see a, a repeat of what had happened in the finals out at, at uh, in West coast, you know, the yeah. West coast, we're just going to come out and steamroll the Hawks. Um, and then uh, we were just chatting about it before. I couldn't recall exactly what had happened next, but West Coast had kicked successive behinds. Yeah. They, they, they'd not kicked straight and, and um, let the Hawks back into that first quarter. And it was almost like the Hawks on that day were, um, maybe they themselves were nervous. The, the hype about the three-peat had been huge. And as you said, this cloud of injuries, the hard path to the grand final um, via losing that, that, that first final. Yeah. Um, it's like they were on a delayed re- response. You know, it was like they started, felt like they started playing 10 minutes after yep. West Coast started playing. But when <laughs> yeah. they did start, everything just fell into gear. And um, I do recall Cyril coming out and kicking two, as he always does, is just to pull the team out of a hard spot and yep. kick, like, I think two goals in the first um, and really assert that this Hawks team had come to play. Yeah. Um, but I was still nervous. And the second the second quarter began, and um, at this point the Hawks had established a lead. Um, West Coast had that whole bag of behinds, yep. and I think it was 30 to 11, 30 played 11. Correct, 11. Yeah. Um, and again, um, Cyril... Uh, had had the ball in the middle of the ground and he went the short kick to Hodgie and Hodgie got fought off the ball. He was inside the 50 and he got the ball spilled loose. Poapolo scooped it up and in the this process... This is all on the boundary, by all, the way. All on the boundary and, and in the process of... Scoop, he, Poapolo running away from goal, scooped it up and copped a, 
a high tackle at the as he's as he's no, <laughs> as he's, as, he's yeah, as, as a man of his stature <laughs> occasionally occasionally especially against the West Coast that West Coast backline and um you know there was this I guess very brief second of is that going to be a is it are they going to call that but he actually got the handball straight back into Hodge's hands and for whatever reason after Hodge being fought off that mark um he'd been he his man had let him go and the ball just came back into his hands without thinking he watching the replay um to to refresh my memory in into coming into this today um he makes it look so calm it's like he's kicking at practice like at training it's like he's the only person on the field and he's probably 30 meters out on the boundary right on the boundary though yeah and he put it on his left boot on the outside of the boot and it just sailed through post high as po- well. yes post high sailed through and i think for a couple reasons i mean for one yes the hawks had the lead on west coast yeah but they just the memory of them losing to this team just weeks before was still fresh everyone knows what west coast are capable of had they kicked straight to begin with it would be a different scoreline so i didn't by any means feel like um the hawks were home and hosed or we we really you know we're we're gonna set the um set an unchaseable uh, score. Yeah. Um, and the fact that, you know, Hodge does have that on-field presence and, and that um, he embodies the spirit of the team and of that team in particular, um, all the way dating back to that 2008 grand final where he was Norm Smith, you know, it was like this is his team. It was yeah. very much more his team than anybody else's at that point. Um, and he's also not a traditionally no. a goal kicker. No. You've got Roughhead, Gunston, Bruce, Puapolo, the, all of these guys who with goal Rioli. tallies in the 30s, 40s, 50s, you <laughs> yeah. know, and here's Luke Hodge um, just showing the entire team and the entire G how it's done. Um, and, and it really felt, I mean, everyone was on their feet at yeah. that point and it was halfway through the second. It meant that the Hawks were going to go into halftime with this very considerable lead at this point. Um and the looks on the West Coast players' faces, I mean, everyone's heads just dropped. Um, they had opportunities to shut that goal down probably three times. And yeah. Cyril got loose, Hodge got loose, Puapolo got loose. And the Hawks just at that point felt like um, luck was on there. Everything was going in their favor. And when they need to deliver, uh, you know, as that team was, was so known to do yeah. under extreme pressure they delivered and um it felt like a massive emotional shift in the mcg from that point onwards where it just felt like there's no way that hawthorne are gonna lose this yeah and it was kind of a you know i still kind of get that goosebumps feeling thinking about it yeah and of course the rest is history um west coast barely turned up to play in the second half and and that was just the most definitive um grand final after having fought ruthlessly against this exact same team weeks before and yeah. lost by a, a, a considerable margin. Mm. Um, they just made it look like a clinic after that. That's the thing. I think with grand finals, they go one of two ways. Yeah. They are either tight all the way yeah. through, i.e. 2012. Yes. Or there's that struggle in the first quarter and a bit mm-hmm. and then one team breaks One free. One team emerges. Yeah. And Hawthorne had both of these happen within these four years. Yeah. And they knew how to turn momentum on a dime by the end of it. Yeah. And, and the, um, 
experience of having been the underdog going in and the young side going in back in 2008 through to being mm. this more senior side and and the and the favorite or the more senior side and the underdog going in it was there were so many um different um variations on 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 how that team was perceived yeah um and i think you know especially in 2015 a lot of people we're sick of the Hawks, and and and, and <laughs> Gemma is, ra- is raising her hand, but you know, quite sick of the Hawks, and and that's this is when uh, the the term Borthorn beca- became into into popular use. Free kick Hawthorn, free as well. kick Hawthorn, and and only you know, um, I think that for footy fans, um, every a lot of people just wanted to see something new happen. For Hawthorne supporters, this was the defining um, moment of an era, of a, of a modern era of success. You know, obviously this is an, an enormously decorated club in the previous century. Yeah. And the the 20, 2008 through to the, you know, 2015 3P era um, is just a new high watermark that it's it's kind of hard to imagine that club or, or any club um, matching mm. to to um, to the same degree. So for us, it was and and knowing that the team was aging and that people even throughout that three peat had begun to drop off, it was a last chance to put another trophy in the cabinet with this incredible side. Yeah, um, which just made that I mean that that game just um, so memorable in in general. I think the thing about this kick as well is the play that set it up. Yeah, is that. It was it was within the first I think couple of minutes of the second quarter. Yeah. It was very early in the second quarter, and it got repelled by that Weagles West Coast Eagles defense yeah. out of Hawthorne's forward yeah. fifty, and Jeray took an intercept mark yeah. in the center square. He took this risky kick, but very Hawthorne like kick yeah. right across the center square to switch it to Smith. Yeah. Smith was quick on his feet to yep. get it off to the running Birchall, yep. who then Birch got it, it to Cyril. Got it to Cyril, and Cyril was just outside fifty when he kicked it to Hodge. Yeah, and it wasn't really to Hodge's advantage either. No. It wasn't the best kick to him. No, so I the think way he tried to take it one handed right on the boundary, and he, yep. he was defending himself with the other arm. Yep, it's amazing the ball didn't go. That's out how into he touch. kept it in. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that Hodge, in that moment where you got the ball back from Puopolo, and I think Puopolo did a really good job of drawing the defender. He did, he did. And that's what we mean when we talk about them as a unit, is yeah. the way they're able to make all those calls on the way through that a yeah. lot of other teams wouldn't. No one would, in a grand final, you don't make that kick across the centre square like that yeah. to against an Eagles team that was so damaging on the run. Yeah, and particularly with Hodge in a position that he's not normally in, um, kind of a, an interesting um, decision from by Cyril, or you know, t- to be able to spot Hodge yep. there in a spot that he's not normally, uh, you know, um, the fact that they just had the faith in one another to yeah. do that. But watching it, and as a an avid Hawthorne hater, um, <laughs> watching the way Hodge got the ball back, and the way he turned inside. Yeah. Saw there was nothing in that split second and just laid back on it, kicked it through. Yeah. It was just like nothing is gonna beat you guys this no. day. If that's going through, nothing is gonna beat you. Yeah, and it felt like um his uh confidence mm. um it, it had an effect on every other member of the yeah. team. You saw their faces light up, everybody really, really celebrated around him on that one. Mm. And it felt like that was his message to the playing group mm. as well, to say, We can do anything, we can do this today. We're gonna win. We're to forget 
don't even think about that loss to these guys a few weeks ago. Yeah. This is our day. Um, and yeah, from, from that point onwards, um, Hawthorne could do no wrong. It was, it actually, and you know, I think anybody whose team hasn't won a grand final in, in a long time is not going to like to hear this, but it almost became a little boring, uh, oh. for, you know, from, from about, yeah. for, you know, deep into the, into the second half, because it just became so apparent that it, whether they were no longer um, putting in the a hundred percent of the effort, or they just couldn't exact the best footy out of their out of their group, West Coast just really capitulated. It just reminds me of Adelaide in twenty seventeen, yeah. GWS twenty nineteen. Yeah. Like after they that spirit breaks, yeah, and in both of those other two games, you can yeah. notice when it happens. And in this game, it was that. Yep, this. it was that. That's the goal for me. Once yeah. the spirit breaks. Then it's all over, and but game becomes really boring. Yeah, I everybody. put this year's grand final on mute. I was so bored. Yeah. Also, Richmond. Um, <laughs> the thing about this as well that I find really fascinating is yep. that there's another moment in this game yes. that actually overshadows this goal. Mm-hmm. But I think this goal was far more important in the context of the game. Yeah. So the other moment is Cyril. C- Cyril. Yes. Cyril's run down tackle on Mark, Mark Hutchings. Yeah. So Hutchings, this is only seven or eight minutes after yeah. the Hodge goal. Um, so still before half, going heading into halftime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hawthorne had kicked one more goal after yeah. the Hodge one. So it was 43 to 11 or something like yes. that. Yes. Beginning to look. Yeah. Beginning to look a little bit worrisome. Yeah. Um, and Hutchings gathered the ball just on the top of the defensive 50 for the Eagles. Yeah. And Cyril, from 20 metres away gathers so much speed and lays the perfect rundown tackle on yeah. him that it was just devastating and unbelievable. Because if you watch the footage, you can't even see Cyril in when Hutchings gathers the ball. Mm-hmm. And he just appears out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, from off screen to, yeah. to tackle. <laughs> and just takes him down and Hutchings just looked absolutely yeah. shocked. yeah. Again, another one of those moments that rattles a player and rattles a team so badly that they begin to second-guess everything that they're doing and then the nerves kick in. and Perceived pressure. Yes. Because yeah. if you, you know that he can do that once, where, where is he now? Where is he next? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if you were following, um, but Cyril played last week and the weekend before for the Tiwi Bombers. Oh, the photos are amazing. Yes, and I, I was actually trying to find, I was see whether there was a... Uh, a YouTube stream just yeah. to see him play again because it's been a, a few years now um, and I couldn't find anything but what I did find was just uh, so many serial highlights packages yeah. and um, yeah I mean the thing that struck me after not seeing him play regular you know football for a few seasons and then to watch these packages is just what an all-rounder he was and that you know it wasn't just the tackling ability but it was the goal ability and it was the running ability mm. and it was it was everything and just he the had, smarts and marks I'd forgotten how many incredible flying, like, over-the-pack marks he, he had taken in his time at Hawthorne as well. It was just, just a, a complete all-rounder. And in the context of last season, it's hard to think of anybody who has uh, the same versatility as, as Cyril yeah. in terms of skill set. There's not, there's not many who can do it all like that. Mm. I'm sure I'll be just sending you names for the next week of random players. Like maybe this person, yeah. Um, but I'm not going to say any off the top of my head. No, it's, uh, it's that'll be it's, embarrassing. It's really hard to think of though. Um, of a... I'm just going to say Alicia Newman. Oh yeah, 
But even then, maybe not quite. Yeah. She's a star. I just wanted to talk about Alicia Newman, really. <laughs> it is what it is. Danielle Ponta, maybe his cousin or niece. Yeah. They're related somehow. Yeah. Um, off topic. Cyril, I think, is fascinating because of, while we still talk about this game, because of the way injuries forced him to reinvent himself multiple times. So I believe initially he hurt his ankles, so he had to change the yep. way he ran. Yep. And then by changing the way he ran, he got the soft tissue injuries, or it was the other way around. Yeah, and then he had um, recurring hamstrings. Yeah. yeah, so because of that, he had to actually change the way he played multiple times yeah. to try and stop recurring injuries from happening. Yeah. So I think that's a really underrated thing about what Cyril did through his career, was that stay at such a high level. Yeah, but also to adapt yeah. to, his, to his injuries and to his conditioning, I mm. guess. And, and also, you know, when you're dropping in and out of a team that um, have just, uh, you know, their list, their cup ran over with talent. Mm. Um, He wasn't always coming back into the exact same role or the same position on the field. Um, And again, he just demonstrated time and time again that he could adapt to his changing, his injuries and his changing body and the changing team around him, Um, which is not unlike Hodge. Um, You know, I guess the the other thing that the two of them have um, that, you know, so that people talk about, it's just, and it's hard to put your finger on what it is, but it's that natural read of the game. Mm. And there are players, incredible, incredible players, but you, they, they approach um, footy almost academically and yep. they study to be that role. And I always thought of Sam Mitchell as being that sort of player. He was uh, a student of the game who learned how to, to use his skills, which weren't nat- naturally the best by, by any standard, into, into carving out this niche for himself and being the best on ground. But to watch Hodge or to watch Cyril, it's like they have eyes in the back of their head or they have yeah. an extra set of hands. It's, it, when the ball comes near them, it's theirs. Yeah. And and it's so amazing to watch and probably pretty uh, perplexing and confusing to, to play on. Um, but, you know, but the, the, it is, it's like, uh, it's like somebody has a, um, a affinity with the ball. Yeah. And I feel like, oh, it sounds so back in my day. Yeah. But I feel like we see that. Less and less now because there's so much science and well, there's so technology much, involved. So much sports science and and we so many players from academies and and all of these sorts of things and it is um, you know footy is is big business and it's being an AFL player even at the lowest level mm. is prof- is a profession now mm. um, and that has got to have an effect on the way that people have learnt the game and played played the game and maybe players of you know whether it's someone like Cyril who grew up in community playing football or someone like Haji who grew up in another era although he came well Haji was a um, Warnable right or Horsham yeah, or something Horsham, like that I believe yeah um, you know they probably um, it's a different approach to getting your your foundational skills I yeah. guess just trying to think of a player right now that you could say they've just got eyes in the back of their head or something like that. like I can't even the best of the best they're all it's older. very physical yeah what they bring more than anything else I mean, like maybe like Patrick Cripps but then again that that definitely it's the physicality the, the that physicality of what he does yeah so hmm, it's interesting to think about that sort of stuff in a way to compare because this was only four or five years ago yeah like it wasn't an era ago but Young, it feels um, like an era ago Charlie Cameron has a touch of it yeah but I feel like um 
uh, his skill set's still coming along. He, I wouldn't say he was much of a 360 football player yeah. as some of the others we've Maybe Marlon Pickett could be that next one it's after inch- that it, grand final. Yeah, well, he's certainly demonstrated that he can play anywhere on the field and, and, and slot into a team and, and have that adaptability and that kind of... Immediate like, to use To use a buzzword that I hate, but that have that X factor yeah. and be like, well, I don't really know what he's capable of, but he's kind of capable of anything. Yeah. Um, and that, again, you, you're just keeping the opposition... Completely guessing. Yeah. Um, so hard to prepare against. Yeah. And just not knowing where they might line up as well because they're versatile. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Anyone else that I can think of um, who maybe inhabits that description is older. Mm. I mean, Gaz comes to mind or... Let's not talk about him. <laughs> yeah, but that's the reality is it's, yeah. you know, there's, a, there's maybe a generation of footballers and they're all but aged 32 to 35 now. Mm. Sean Burgoyne has has a, a, a measure of it for sure, um, but they come from a different era. Yeah, this this era of um, being able to read the game like a second language and and be able to um, think on the spot as opposed to just be a, a robotic. Kind yeah, of a well, athlete. I guess relying less on your physical ability is a thing as yeah, well. So using like your brain, I we think we talk about footballers who aren't necessarily the most talented, but come in and work yes. really hard to know the game better. So Kieran Jack is an example yes, of that. Yeah. Um, Brett Kirk was an example yep. of that, where they had such an impact, but they weren't necessarily the most skilled. No. So I just wonder how recruiting has changed now as well. And I think Blitzarves is an interesting one, because mm. the knock on him early in his career was, he's just an athlete, he's not a footballer. But yeah. now his footy smarts yeah. surpasses pretty much everyone on his team, you know? Well, I suppose there's an argument to say you can learn one and not the other, or one can be taught and not the other. Yeah. There are that many um, naturally gifted um, people, you know, skilled footballers, young footballers out there who don't last in the AFL because yeah. they can't get their head around the other side of it or the, the you know, the, the intellectual side of the game or, or perhaps the, the training and the and the... Um, rigors of being a professional footballer, yeah. um, but if um, but if there's one thing that can be taught, it's that structure. I guess that structure and that kind of like um, footy intellect. Yeah. Um, yeah. As long as they can kind of last in there. So let's do a call out to people. Who do you think is an eyes in the back of their head player in, now? In, yeah. Twenty 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 season. Who is the Cyril Rioli equivalent. Who who is the player that you um that you is capable of seemingly anything? Can be women's or men's. Yeah. Doesn't just have to be men's. Um, but tell us who you think because we're the, a little the bit ga- stumped. The game saver or the yeah. you know that person who when when everyone else has their head dropped will put on a one person show and, and if turn, anyone turn it around. If anyone sends in Joe Danaher, <laughs> <laughs> you're blocked immediately. Big joke. <laughs> But before we finish up, yep. I do want to ask you, looking towards the 2020 season, yeah. men's, because Hawthorne yeah. doesn't have a women's AFLW team, um, who's the player at Hawthorne you're most, most excited to watch next year? Uh, look, I think the name on everybody's lips is Tom Mitchell. I think um, recovering from an injury like that is incredibly hard. I mean, to have a broken leg, he was 25 years old at the time, which I suppose is right in the 
kind of the middle of your career these days to, mm. to a degree. Um, it's not as easy to, to heal up. Um, every, every little snippet of Hawthorne um, showing him running on the leg at, tra- at training and, and, you know, throughout the back half of the year and the summer um, has given us that little extra bit of hope that he's going to play around one. Mm. Um, it's also going to be a really exper- interesting experience to see how he slots back into this team because well, when, when he left, he left a massive vacuum in the middle of the ground, like the most obvious kind of uh, focal point of play and players rose to the challenge and, and James Warple yeah. m- more than anyone. Um, and in the second half of the season just rose to that challenge and became, um, uh, you know, really filled the, filled the void that, that Mitch left. Um, and, and, you know, that's to say nothing of the efforts of sort of Jarman Impey and, um, a couple other uh, players around, around that, that center position. So, um, Mitch is going to have to find his place back in yeah. the in the side, and these players are going to have to figure out how to play. Whether it's um, Omira, oh, Omira, I was like, <laughs> you Jager, look like you're panicking, Jager, Omira, yeah, complete blank. Um, how they're going to have figure out how to support him in that role again? Yeah, my my money is that you know, I, I sadly, as much as I would like to see him play as well as he did in um, twenty um, eighteen. I think after an injury like that, you have to expect a reduced capacity, Tom Tom Mitchell. But what we have seen is an, an increased, increase, you know, increasing skill level among the players around him. Yeah, and it will definitely be more of a a team a teamwork kind of an effort in the middle of the ground, which I don't think is a bad thing. No, I think it's a really good thing because that, that was, was the worry. He was carrying that midfield, um, you know, and and that's how often how players win Brownlows is that you know he was maybe the only one playing. Um, consistently good footy in, yeah. in that part of the ground. Um, now he's got some competition, and I think that's a good thing. I don't want to sound like Nathan Buckley here, but I think the knock on Mitchell yeah. in terms of a team context, not yeah. in terms of a personal individual player context, is that he's so beholden to what his outside runners can do. Because he, yeah. as an inside midfielder, yeah. gets it out of the contest and then relies on others to finish the job in a way sure. a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think that's something that Warpole less so yeah. needed because he could be an outside player as well. Yeah. So I think Warpole evolving as a player yeah. is only going to help Mitchell. Yeah, evolve out of that... that um containment in the center of the ground yeah. as well because you're right yeah warp i mean the great thing about watching warple um is how many times he broke tackles and and played run and carry football mm. as well and if he didn't see an, an option to kick into he took the ball himself yeah and took the game on himself so many times which is just so amazing to watch for such a young player as well yeah that's a player that i think in two or three seasons time well, who, the, the it's going to be interesting to see whether Warpool graduates on to like the next level of being a football player. He's certainly a favorite at the club yeah. right now, but it's kind of a little, a little early still to say, is he going to achieve peak greatness? But he's on the, he's on the road and he just came on in leaps and bounds in yeah. 2019. Well, that's the thing though. You never know because People two have... years ago, Ryan Burton was that guy and yeah. then they traded him out. So yeah. You just never know what's going to happen. Yeah, if if I want to, if I could shout out a second one, um, I only got to see him play a couple games in um, twenty nineteen. But CJ, oh no, that's not. Oh no, CJ! I just thought, um, what a fast, fast yeah. footballer, um, and you can tell there is so much um, to learn 
around or to or to to hone and to master around his skills. Yeah. But his abil- the ability is there. And when he did show the ability in the couple games, the few games that he played um, in 2019, he had some like just natural footy talent moments. Whether and and you know the one thing that I really admired about watching him as well is that he did make a lot of mistakes, but he also fixed his own mistakes. Yeah. And 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 any time he spilled the ball loose, he recovered it. And um, you know if he if he went for a flying mark and he didn't get it, he made he laid a tackle. Yeah. And I and I love that tenacity and that but just the speed. Yeah. And when you see a player, and it reminded me of a young Isaac Smith or something like that to say, okay, again here the, here's this player who is so fast, fast with their hands, fast on their feet. Um, if they can master the skills, mm. then you're going to be here for a long time, you yeah. know? Um, so it remains to be seen because, he, again, such a such a young player. Yeah. Um, but it's exciting. It's exciting after that three-peat era where it was, was kind of saying a teary goodbye to a lot of players. And there was just whether it was um, whether they tra- traded out to other teams for one more season or they, or they hung up the boots completely. We've said goodbye now to everyone. Cyril's gone. Hodge is gone. Except for Burgoyne. Roughhead was gone. Sean Burgoyne will still be playing football when he's 51, I reckon. <laughs> he's what? He's 37 now? I think he's going, he'll be 37 in the 2020 season. That's insanity. I think he's fifth or sixth on the games record now. Yes. But he, I was looking at the other, the other day. But I think if he if he play if he's fit for another season and he plays it in its entirety, um, even if they don't make finals, I think he's due to go up one, if not two, pegs on that. Yep. Um so he's still he's still gonna have to last a couple seasons. Because he surpassed Adam Goods on the on the Indigenous, indigenous games. games list yeah. and Indigenous finals. Yeah. He also has he holds a bunch of strange records. Sometimes I love um, the Hawthorne Footy Club's Twitter or, or Facebook in the off season yeah. because they they dig deep and they they feed you with all of these obscure bits of trivia to kind of keep you um, keep you on the line until we can watch the team play again. Um, he has a, an, an unbeaten, I think, at Hawthorne um, consecutive games as well. Um, because he has been injured a couple times over the years, but there's a Burgoyne run that spanned numerous seasons without missing a game. And I think I think that's another in-club record he holds is mo- most consecutive games played. I'll have to check I that think, out. I think that's the case. But um, Indigenous Finals is another one that I've mm. definitely heard brought up before. Yeah. And you didn't have to be. I mean, yeah, yeah. Between... In the era that he's played. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember there being a lot around that this year. All the Adam Good stuff as well, and yeah. all that stuff. Um, the I thought you were going to say Mitch Lewis before. That's why I'm oh, really excited. Yeah. No, I well, really I mean, like Mitch, Mitch Lewis. This is the thing, you know. Um, it's it's been a long time um, as a Hawthorne supporter since we had so many young kids to be excited about. Mitch Lewis, you know what? At the start of the 2019 season, the conversation among everyone was that Hawthorne d- didn't have a power forward. <laughs> That, that Jared Ruffhead was on his way out the door yep. and I um, actually got to, to meet him the other night. Oh, at really? A, at a, yeah, he was, um, he was backstage at a gig at the Forum and we got to have a chat, which was a, a real dream come true for me, <laughs> being a big Ruffy fan. But, you know, he's, he's um, on, um, you know, on, on his way out the door and um, Jack Gunston didn't have a great season. Gunston and Bruce have been such amazing servants of the club for a long time now and they've still got many years of footy provided they don't injure themselves mm. but they're not at that um 
kind of Coleman threatening yeah. goal kicking tallies that, that they once were. Um, and um, it was really feeling like, and even our small forwards, Puapolo, um, I think there was, uh, you know, a shadow of doubt as to whether he was going to play on in 2020. We had that conversation, didn't we? I, yeah. thought, I thought that that might be him. He's been given one more year, and I think Hawthorne supporters are really happy with that. Yeah. Again, it did feel to me like maybe Pop and Gunston just had a bad year in 2019 for whatever reason. or Not a bad year, but just not a great year by their standards. I mean, when you're surrounded by young guys, when you're used to being surrounded by people being that Being fed the know ball by the best play. of the best, yeah. whether it was Birch or Hodge or, yeah. Um, so it's, it's going to be... Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, Mitch, Mitch Lewis st- st- literally stood up and all of a sudden I'm we such have a, a such a tall forward, confident forward who can take big marks on his feet without yep. even really leaping for the ball um, and kick straight. And, and he's, he's um, you know, it, it's the now the conversation is now that um, big Jonathan Patton is coming down to the hawk's nest is where does he slot in? Uh, you know, I think there's been a, a, a 12 month or more than 12 month campaign to bring him to the club to fill that exact yeah. um, position, that that job, that job position. And now Mitch Lewis is there saying, "Hang on, I think I've got this." And then Tim O'Brien, just in the last quarter of the season, all of a sudden something clicked for him. Yeah. And whether it was his marking ability or his or his goal kicking ability, he just he, he rose by. It felt like about 50% in terms of his output. Yep. Um, so now it's looking like Hawthorne has a tall forward line. A young tall forward line. A young line. To- tall forward line. Um, and some really interesting developments happening in the midfield. Yep. And, uh, you know, I guess it's the job of Frawley and Burgoyne and some of the older heads to um, – Stay fit and healthy, yeah. So that we have a defense, that you know, backline's the that, a, a backline that can um, nurture and support. Because you know, if, you, if the backline falls apart and teams just start running over Hawthorne, we're not going to see development yeah. at the in the in the front and the middle at the same rate that we will. But you know, Chip's still looking pretty good, and and as we <laughs> said, Burgoyne is just the the uh, some kind of medical <laughs> mis- an- anomaly at this point. And just Sicily back there blowing his head all oh, the time. <laughs> yeah, Sicily as well, yeah. Oh, I guess Stratton's there as well. Strats, Strats is there, and, and, and yeah. Again, Do you think he'll still be your captain? Uh, I think it'd be interesting to see what happens there. I think... Um, I think Burgoyne would make a fantastic captain. I don't know whether he's um, been approached, and it's not the not a role he wants to um, yeah. wants to take on, as some players don't. I think that Stratton has um, been challenged by the captaincy. Um, I, I think sometimes there are players who are better suited to going a little bit under the radar from a playing perspective as mm. well. You know, against opposition teams, and and once you um, you have that captaincy. Um, you know, put put upon you. There is um, more high, uh, more pressure on you, but there's also you know there's a, a greater um, spotlight on you among audiences and among opposition teams. And and it was a tough. It's been a tough couple seasons for Stratton. I was always surprised that it wasn't Shields. Yeah, it seemed like the really obvious choice. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. And and yeah, I mean these players that um I th- tend to think of because so many Hawthorne players have lasted into their mid thirties. Mm. Um, the guys that I tend to think of as being younger aren't that young anymore. Isaac Smith is probably thirty. He's, 31? Yeah, he's thirty one, I think. Thirty one. You know, even Smith, I mean, surely at some point especially I don't know if you ever heard Smith um commentating when he's, he's been when he's been injured. But that his footy IQ, as yep. they say, is 
unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's a coaching, uh, sorry, coaching at some point, but if there's a captaincy in the future for him at yeah. some point. Graham and Clarko um, have the the magic touch with these with some of these young recruits, and um, it's it was it was so amazing to see. Um, you know, at the, at the minute in the in the postseason, um, the Hawks have been uh, asking for um, punter uh, input on what was the greatest goal of the season of the 2019 season. What was the greatest tackle? What was the the greatest piece of play? Uh, the mark, you know, whatever. And and one of the, one of the contenders that came up the other day um, for um, I think it was for mark of the um, of the season was Scrimshaw. And to see a player, yeah. it's, you know, another player that and he didn't play heaps of footy and he didn't always play great footy when when he did play he played consistently um good footy but there were a couple moments of brilliance already how exciting to have somebody as young and new to the team as that already displaying elements that that can be considered a a team best effort Mm. within a season and what does that mean for next year And, and it's so exciting to think about you know who's coming to the hawks um in the draft yeah. Um, and, you know, it should only be a matter of, of years before we see them. But, I mean, the, the one thing that I keep thinking about as well is obviously Patton and um, so much speculation on why they would want him and, and why anyone would want to take a risk on a player um, who's had successive injuries, such as he has, that have prevented him from playing. And you've only Particularly got, ACLs. ACLs, really troubling injuries. You've only got to look at the way that Scully played mm. in 2019. And, and his speed. For a man that they said at the time his ankle injury was consistent with that of being in a car crash or run over by a yeah. car or something, that, that you know, he, he couldn't, he would never achieve. And I think he himself has said he's, he's not at full pace yet, but um, he was a integral part of that 2019 side. And Jaeger O'Meara's I was, yeah, I was about knee, to say, knee, inj- knee injuries? Yeah, patella. The patella, that's just completely a thing of the past. But even, you know, um, harking back to some of those um, players that were consistently injured, such as Cyril, mm. and to have been um, successfully nursed through multiple hammies and, and stuff like that to, to play in in final series and, and grand yeah. finals into their 30s. You've obviously got to um, put a lot of faith in Hawthorne's medical and training. Um, I think that's the thing they have up on prowess. a lot of other clubs. Yeah, so and that's f- something Melbourne are hopefully fixing with Darren Burgess in this year. Like, that's the thing yep. Gold Coast struggled with this year. Yep. And that, if you can get that right, yeah. it and makes it, such a difference. And this is the... Um, this is the, the um, impact of science on, mm. on, on the modern game and, and so many players who in, in years gone by, um, you know, wouldn't, would not have played again. Well, Burgoyne's still playing at 37. Like that. Yeah, exactly. Thought that would happen. So it's going to be interesting to see if, if, um, if Patton can, can, um, play, you know, and, and, and Mitch can play, but we've got these superstar players who, um, are recovering, yeah. you know, or almost recovered. Um, in in Pat, Pat, you know, Patton's case, recovered. See, I this is what annoys me: is that you're probably going to be stronger in the second half of the season. And of course, after one year off, we fucking play you guys in round twenty three <laughs> again. We had one year off where I was like, oh, thank God. And now, who have Sydney got round one? Uh, Adelaide. Uh, in Adelaide. Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer. You got to go to. Adelaide. We always lose round one. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Round one is. Um, not at all indicative of how a team, or as as we saw with Gold, Gold Coast in twenty nineteen, and don't knock Gold Coast. I'm wearing my Alex Sexton T-shirt right now. But you know, <laughs> you, you know, um, 
Yeah, Hawthorne pulled um, Brisbane on sun on the Sunday at um, at the G. I think. Yeah, um, it'll be a good game to go to. It will be a good game to go to. Um, but yeah, I don't I, I don't think um, round one is a very good indication <laughs> of how your team are going to go. But I mean, I'll go, I'll head along. Um, you know, at the prospect of seeing Tom Mitchell back on the field yeah. or or seeing. Um, John Patton play a half a footy or, or whatever whatever it is. Yeah. I, I'll be very curious to see how Clarko lines up the, mm. the, the team on the, on, at round one. Yes. Oh, I'm so looking forward to I know. February 7th, AFLW starts, everyone. Yes. Put that in your diaries. Yeah. I mean, that's that one of the best things is <laughs> the extended football yes. season. It's not such a long wait anymore. So who do you go for in the AFLW when while Hawthorne don't have a team? Well, controversially, because they're probably my most hated men's senior side, but I like the Geelong Cats AFLW side. And I, Musician and I, in there, fair. And, and look, I got to go along. A big part of that is I, I did get I saw, to go along. I saw along. you from the other side of the field. Ah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I got to go along. It's the only time I've been to the Cattery. And probably I'll, the only time I would go there is for an AFLW game. Yeah. I, I have no interest in seeing... Hawthorne play in, in Geelong, <laughs> which they never do anyway. You know, it, they, we always make Geelong come come here to the G where we like it, <laughs> <laughs> much to their coach's dismay. Um, but I, yeah, I um, I was lucky enough to get invited along to that f- um, first round against and, Collingwood. Yeah, and, and to see them have a win as well, and um, and also to have had um, tangential connections to a few of those players who, as you mentioned, are also intermingled with, uh, yeah, with the, with the music scene in, in Melbourne and Geelong. And um, it's just so exciting to, um, to, to have a whole nother aspect of, of football to watch and enjoy. And it was really enjoyable. That was, that was a great game. Yeah, um, it, was. it was. Nina Morrison. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. And look, not long, you know, the Hawks have a VFLW team. and Winning flags. Yeah, yeah, with a lot of great players. I mean, the um, the frustrating thing about the weight is that the, watching those players go to uh, other sides and, you know, but um, not long now. And, and obviously um, they're, they're stepping into a club with just such a fantastic legacy and and culture around yeah. it you know i know um Geelong supporters my my brother included um love to to say you know Hawthorne is anything but the family club that we're dirty and we're this and we're that and I, meanwhile i don't know how a Geelong supporter can call anyone else's club dirty but but um <laughs> but i i really think there is a um a, a wonderful culture around Hawthorne and i think that they will have a great AFLW team once yeah. once it, it kicks in yeah, I'm waiting for Sydney as well. Don't worry, but I yeah. hardcore go for the D's. So yes, well, that's flag the, next year. the beauty be of living in Melbourne is, um, you know, you can get along and and support a in Casey. Yeah, an hour away. Yeah, this is but true. But still, um, we got so far off topic, but still great. Thank you so much for coming, no worries. Zach. I Thank appreciate you for inviting it. Me. We will have to chat again about some other things. Yeah. Maybe when Hawthorne get into the AFLW. Yes. Maybe not two years, but no, let's catch up No, that would be sooner. great. Well, I'm sure um, I'll be going along round one when that happens. So, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll catch up at AFLW games. Um, we live very close to each other, though, so that's <laughs> not an excuse. Um, thank you for coming down. This has been I See It But I Don't Believe It, Luke Hodges' 2015 grand final goal. Um, we'll be back again soon with another episode of I See It But I Don't Believe It. But in the meantime, uh, keep listening to Play on Radio and check out all of Zach's stuff. Um, I'll link it in the show notes. Thanks very much. Thanks. (laughs) 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.